standard issue for all women. Hello there and welcome to a bonus Sunday Chops. September is Alzheimer's Awareness Month and in this week's podzine, Leanne Davis told us all about her experiences of life with her mum who has early onset dementia. We didn't have room in the podzine for Leanne's full piece, so here it is now. It's really lovely and warm and heartbreaking, but there's some valuable tips in there for anyone who might be going through a similar situation. Hope you enjoy it. You are listening to Leanne Davis on this here podcast, and today I'm talking about Alzheimer's, which is the subject of my new blog series based on losing my own gorgeous mum Eunice to early onset dementia, entitled Keeping My Head Whilst Mum's Losing Hers. However, if the scary word Alzheimer's already has you reaching for the skip button, replace this word in your head with another, maybe, I don't know, adventuring or apple bobbing or, well, anything really as the point of this recording is to try and ease some of the pressure we feel when speaking about this illness. Because once we've done that, then we remove some of the shame and stigma surrounding mental health issues such as Alzheimer's. And then we not only move forward in hopefully being able to find a cure for this disease, but also help ease the pain both to Alzheimer's sufferers and their loved ones. I need to point out at this juncture that I am neither a medical professional nor mental health expert, much to my parents' disappointment and that the situations I describe are of dealing with my own mother. I appreciate there are many different ways of experiencing this illness, and my advice may not be applicable to everyone's situation. I am simply a 34-year-old writer, actor and occasional titter-inducer who has spent the last seven years searching for ways to deal with my mum's complex illness, means of coping better with the losses and heartbreak, and skills to be able to laugh through the dark times and thus not feel so alone and shitty. Because, let's call a spade a spade, this is a shitter of a disease. But there are ways we can make it a little bit easier. I'm also a little nervous about discussing things about this disease, in case it upsets people who aren't quite as far down the grieving and subsequent healing process that I am, especially if you're suffering from the disease yourself. But one of maybe my only regrets in this whole situation is that I didn't speak directly to Mum about it at the time, when she still could. I didn't want to make it worse for her, as she wasn't prepared to admit it herself, so we all lived in denial. But I realise now that this may have made her feel more alone. So if I can get even one family talking and bring them together, then at least I'll have appeased some of my chronic Catholic guilt. Something I can roundly thank my dear mother for. (laughs) However, please note, I may discuss elements of the disease which you're still not ready to hear. So if you want to know the good bits but not the bad, perhaps ask a dear pal to listen for you and pick out the key points. I have never watched Still Alice and I doubt I ever will. I know it's a great film but it's too freaking sad, too close to home, so I get it. I will, however, teach you the Yuppie Doopie song, which is a free bonus track at the end, written by Uni herself, and goes something along the lines of Yoo-hoo, Yoo-hoo, Yuppie Doopie Doo. So, if nothing else, feel free to skip forward. So, here with a little backstory. I was 28 when Mum was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's, but it wasn't till at least 18 months later that I actually found the courage to tell anyone bar my chocolate fire guard boyfriend at the time. In all honesty, I was terrified, as I didn't know what it, Alzheimer's, actually meant. The only experience I'd had of what I thought was Alzheimer's was from watching films, seeing actresses play dithering old ladies, sweetly forgetting the names of their grandchildren. 
It seemed like a natural part of the ageing process. But my mum was neither dithering nor old, and I'd never heard of anyone at either my age, 28, nor my mother's, 65, having been diagnosed with this disease. I was a very immature 28-year-old, and up until that point, mum had been my sage and spirit guide. I couldn't bear the thought of losing that. This felt like an illness that a parent should only be allowed to get when you're all grown up, totally together and blissfully married with four beautiful children and a picket fence and maybe a golden retriever or two should you prove yourself responsible enough. I wasn't anywhere near any of that. I didn't even own a colander. Seven years on and I'm here today recording a podcast to be shared, potentially on a global scale, that's what I've told my dad, (laughs) or certainly big enough to reach my hometown of Darlington, putting my innermost thoughts out here to be heard and felt. If I use the wrong terminology or offend, please forgive me. I don't by any means have all the answers, as ultimately I'm just a girl standing in front of her mum asking her to remember that she loves her. There are so many different ways this illness presents itself and many situations are far worse than our experience. So please note that some of this advice is easier said than done. I am in no way minimising your pain, simply hoping to provide a little support given from a place of love. So here with four of the main ways I found that helped me cope with the pain of Alzheimer's, my experience of losing my own mother, the beautiful, the talented, the hilarious Eunice Davis. Advice, part one. Allow yourself to really cry, ideally to the point where it feels like your brains might pop out. Now, to those that love a good cry, this may seem like the easy part. But having been a very healthy crier my whole life, my family can vouch for this, I could bore with tears of happiness through an entire episode of You Bet, I found that my 18 months of denial dried up my tear ducts like putting salt on a slug. It was only when I started seeing a counsellor that the Red Seas came together again and I cried so hard I thought my brains might well pop out. The defining moment was during the first session when I explained that I had this constant burning sensation in my chest but I didn't know why I felt so bad given that mum was actually still alive. My counsellor explained gently that this sensation was grief. Boy was knowing that a relief. Of course now it seems so easy to understand but... As Alzheimer's is a disease we rarely speak about, though that is getting better, I couldn't put my feelings into context. It felt so odd, and in some ways still does, to grieve a person who is still here. It was a very conflicting time for me. I was scared, confused, and so bloody angry. It felt so unfair that this was happening to my mum at such a young age. Though... Now I realise that everyone feels that way about losing a parent or loved one, no matter how old you are. Unless, of course, they were an old boot and you're glad to see the back of them. Joking, not joking. I know even that comes with its own burdens, feelings of shame and guilt and things you should or shouldn't have done. However you feel about someone who's dying, grief can be all-consuming and it certainly was for me. It seems so odd to grieve a person who is still alive, but ultimately we are grieving lost possibilities and future plans. I mourned the fact that mum will never go wedding dress shopping with me or possibly ever hold my baby. And this is why my first bit of advice is to cry. Because through grieving, we heal. And as we heal, we are better able to look outside of our own pain and help the ones we love, such as my mum, deal with their pain. Now, I know this is particularly tricky for men, given that we lived in a totally messed up society that denies men their emotions. Babies, both male and female, are born crying. 
and continue to do so until that time that we start telling our boys, don't cry, don't be like a girl, like this is a bad thing. Man up. My dear dad and brother certainly struggled a lot more than my sister and I because they, like so many other men, feel ashamed of crying and admitting they felt vulnerable. But isn't it crazy that it's more acceptable for a man to get angry and smash something up or go out and drink their body weight in alcohol in order to numb the pain than it is to cry tears of sadness? Tears are just water. Talking is just words. Yet we are all, male and female, so ashamed and terrified of doing both. So, let go of any preconceptions about what it means to be an adult, to cope and tell your stiff upper lip to take a goddamn holiday, preferably on a one-way flight to the Antarctic. Crying and grieving is one of the most natural, healthy human emotions, and to deny yourself that is to deny yourself your healing. So go on, put on Molly and me, Saving Private Ryan, or reruns of You Bet, whatever might get those tear ducts flowing, and have a healthy old ball. Advice part two. Speak to someone, ideally a professional. Good old Prince Harry, hey? Stud. By the way, how much do I love the pairing of him in suits Meghan Markle, though I do keep getting her confused with the German Chancellor. Prince Harry has, I think, eased a path for both men and women by speaking publicly about his own grief over losing his mum, Diana, and finally finding the courage to see a counsellor. In my mind, it highlighted what I already knew, that no matter how rich, physically strong, or that non-meaning word, manly, you are, mental struggles are exactly the same as physical struggles. A sprained ankle is a sprained ankle. A sprained brain is a sprained brain. I used to feel so ashamed about saying I spoke to a counsellor, like I'd failed in life, like I was one of those crazy people who couldn't deal with normal everyday living and emotions. I started seeing a counsellor to find ways of coping with my mum's illness and actually just cured a load of other problems along the way, including dumping the chocolate fire guard boyfriend for one, which was a win. Bloody love multitasking. Speaking to a counsellor is literally just that, speaking. Throughout history, important figures, kings, queens, presidents and leaders with the weight of the world on their shoulders have sought the wise counsel of philosophers for guidance in making important decisions to solve life's problems. Having my mother being diagnosed with a terminal illness, finally, after much encouragement from others, gave me the path I needed to see a therapist. From the very first session with this woman, I wondered why counselling wasn't included in the school curriculum. Why working on tools that help individuals deal with all life's problems wasn't a standard part of education like reading and writing. I came out of school a year early at 17 with five A-levels, a gold Duke of Edinburgh award, and pretty much zero skills for dealing with grief, loss, shame, insecurity. And thus, life in my 20s, even with all my academic qualifications, was a constant struggle. Ultimately, what I'm saying is, it's my, and many other more mega successful and respected people like Oprah Winfrey, Emma Thompson, J.K. Rowling, David Baddiel, and the late, and the great, oh my God, my love, David Bowie's belief, that seeking professional counsel is one of the most beneficial and indeed necessary gifts you can give yourself, not least during a crappy situation such as Alzheimer's. You cannot stop yourself feeling the pain, anger and hurt, and other manifestations of grief and shame that a disease like Alzheimer's brings up. And nor should you. Allowing yourself to feel these feelings will help you process them. Blocking them will only force them to come out in other ways, such as depression, anxiety, headaches, back pain, IBS, insomnia, any of these on your list. But speaking to someone will help you find ways of coping and make you a little bit more resilient to deal with the unfortunate 
ever-worsening situation. Often the people we really want to speak to are those who are also suffering, so we hold back. We don't want to make each other feel worse by bringing our own pain to the table. In actual fact, this is rarely the case, and often speaking to our loved ones about your own pain can help them to express theirs, thus you all feel less alone. But for so many reasons, this can't be done all the time, and sometimes not at all. The person I most wanted to speak to about all this was Mum. She'd been my best friend my entire life, my counsel. But as previously mentioned, I didn't want to make her feel worse by bawling my eyes out in front of her. So speaking to someone impartial allowed me to do that and to express all the feelings I was too embarrassed or ashamed to share with her, other loved ones or friends. And an illness like Alzheimer's brings up a whole host of shameful feelings. What we should have done, what we ought to feel, thoughts we don't want to think but are always there niggling away. But once again, it's only by dealing with these feelings that we can start to process our pain and move through it. Advice part three. Don't be too proud to ask for help and give help where you can. The weird crappy shame surrounding this illness can really make you cut off from people. At first, and the first few years after diagnosis, I saw my mum withdraw, scared of what she might do or say. As a result, we as a family withdrew ourselves as our love for and pride in mum meant that we didn't want to upset her or bring unnecessary attention or cause her additional distress. But that meant that for a long time, we lived in secret shame, pretending nothing was wrong. And until you admit there's a problem, it's very hard to find solutions and ways of coping. If you know someone who's grieving or dealing with Alzheimer's, try to reach out. Even if they have rejected you a million times, and unless it's because you are actually a total pillock, try at least once more. My dad's pride of wanting to show that he can cope with looking after mum on his own, which he has proved to the world a billion times over, might have signalled to others that he didn't want their help. And perhaps for a while he didn't. But always keep trying, keep reaching out, because one day my dad or your neighbour or an old work colleague might say yes to the help and support. A little note in the post, a phone call, or even just popping by for a quick cup of tea with someone who's ill or someone who's looking after them can mean the world. A little reminder that they are not alone. Because Alzheimer's and all that comes with it, especially whilst there is this stigma and fear surrounding it, can be a really lonely place. This is especially true at night, by the way. During the day, there are more options, more chance of seeing people at the supermarket or having a carer come to take mum out for the day to allow dad a little respite. During the day, there are jobs to be done. Dad is now a highly proficient house husband, singing for the brain and swim sessions for him to take her to. Birds chirping in the garden. Night times, however, can be lonely, with mum not speaking hardly at all now and the only company for dad being the television. It gives dad too much time to think of what could have been, and to feel sad. Not that he feels sorry for himself, as his resilience and strength has amazed all of us. Just that he grieves his own future hopes and plans, the plans he had with Mum. So, if you have neighbours, friends or loved ones who are stuck indoors, why not pop over for a cup of tea or glass of wine? My mum always loves seeing people, even if she hasn't the foggiest who you are. And my dad certainly loves the company and chit-chat. When I go home, I stay in with mum and dad gets to go to the pub with his pals for a pint to let his hair down without having to worry about what mischief mum might be getting up to alone. Note to Dragon Den types. A company that provides carers and volunteers for a few hours in the evening, not someone who stays overnight, would be really valuable. 
And if you get to look after someone like my mum, you'd be getting paid to eat loads of chocolate, do Sudokus, watch reruns of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and learn the Yuppie Doopie song, which in my book is a win. So, reach out, kids, and say yes to strangers. Advice part four. Let go and stop giving a damn. This is so much easier once parts one and three are in place. The thing I didn't realise about Alzheimer's when mum was first diagnosed is that over time, it changes the person's entire personality. I knew about the decline of memory, and ultimately, that's what I grieved most at the beginning. I was terrified about her not remembering me, something we are dangerously close to now. What I wasn't prepared for was the total shift in behaviour, her loss of manners, shouting in public and acting irrationally. There are so many ways the illness manifests itself, and at first I was mortified. Until recently, Mum looked like a normal, fully functioning adult. So when she did crass things like shout across the bar, Oi, lad, I want to drink, which is simply cutting to the chase, if you ask me, or wildly picking her nose at the table, people would look over and judge. I remember a nose-picking incident at a restaurant a few years ago. A table opposite her sat judging, grown adults, smart and intelligent, looking disdainfully at my dear mum, and I wanted to cry. I wanted to shout, She's got Alzheimer's, you boneheads! Allow her your kindness, not scorn! But I didn't, because I didn't want mum or dad to feel worse. And also, because they weren't to know she was ill. She, too, looked like a smart, intelligent woman, who was being a bit of a grebo, picking her nose at the table. This is one of the less difficult situations that we've experienced over the years as a result of Alzheimer's. Interestingly, as mum's condition has deteriorated, we as a family have grown stronger, more resilient to looks and stares, less caring of mother singing her yuppie doopie song in the middle of a restaurant, or even finding the funny when she declares during silent prayers in church that I am here visiting with my boyfriend, with whom I live, but to whom I am categorically not married, sinners. I didn't want to tell people at the start that mum had Alzheimer's. I didn't want to feel I was shaming her by telling strangers her secret. But it's the weird shame surrounding this illness that forced this to be a secret in the first place. It never was my mum who was acting strangely. It is the disease. Now, when we go to restaurants with mum, we quietly explain to waiters and bar staff that she has Alzheimer's and there is never anything other than a positive reaction to this. People go out of their way to help mum to go along with her quirks and ignore any rudeness. Suddenly there's understanding and a release of shame and embarrassment. Man, if only we'd worked this out sooner. Mum composed a yuppie-doopie song some time ago. She absolutely loves it when people hold her hands, jump up and down wildly and sing along with her. The more wildly you jump, the more excited she gets and it's a true sign of how awesome you are, where, when and how loudly you are prepared to do this. It's a bit like the bogey game, but starts at full volume and is designed to get people staring from the off. Part four. Let go and stop caring. And if you see someone acting strangely or aggressively, how this disease often shows itself, don't automatically judge. Try to be caring. Give people the benefit of the doubt. You never know whether some illness or other pain might be playing a part in a person's seemingly odd behaviour. Do as you would be done by, as my mum always asserted. And if those people are completely healthy, but just absolute twerps, well, they're suffering enough as it is. And so, to my final piece of advice, be present and enjoy the now. 
I spent so much time grieving mum in the first years after diagnosis that sometimes I felt like she'd already gone. At times I'd gotten myself so wrapped up in sadness that I'd convinced myself she was worse than she actually was. To be honest, it was also hard to know how she truly was, as every day was different and I sort of had nothing to compare against. When people asked, how's your mum? I never really knew what to answer. So I used to say, well, she still remembers me. And that seemed to satisfy the question. Changes were often subtle, a feeling she was slipping away, but I couldn't be specific without a ten-minute rundown. Towards the later stages, where she is now, changes are more profound, but weirdly I tend to find them easier to accept. I came to learn that the now is all we have. With this illness, things do go up and down. Some days you feel you've almost lost them entirely, and others, they are lucid again, surprising us with great feats of memory. I found that it was very easy for me to become a victim to this illness, allowing fear of the future to affect the present. But I've realised those hard times will come regardless, and when they do, we deal with them, like we deal with all life's hardships. Worrying about them doesn't make it easier, and indeed, simply steals away the precious time of now, when they are indeed the best they ever will be. My mum was, and still is, the most resilient woman, the most courageous fighter, and her enormous strength and gargantuan heart has meant that even through all of this, her beauty and love still pours out of her. She's so happy and joyous, and she brings delight to all who meet her. We are so fortunate in that respect, as mum is still really happy. So often, the illness takes even that away from people, and I can't even begin to imagine how that must feel. Each day we feel blessed that this part of her, her happy soul, still remains. Occasionally when I'm at home with her I lie upon her like a child, holding her hand and kissing her face, often much to her chagrin as this gets in the way of her 60-second Sudoku challenge. Yes, the mother who can't remember her youngest daughter's name can still do a 60-second Sudoku challenge in under 30 seconds. Go figure. Having undertaken a good handful of puzzles in the book, Dad has cleverly stocked up with a year's supply, She will often put her pen aside, look at me, and take me in for a moment, and then smile warmly. I know that for a short moment she knows my importance to her, not necessarily my name or how I relate to her, just that she loves me in the way only a mother can, dearly, deeply, and without reproach for being 34 and lying on her like a much less weighty three-year-old. These moments you will only get if you allow yourself to be in the moment, and they will stay in your heart forever. So, that concludes my top five tips for keeping your head together through the grief of Alzheimer's. I, like many people, thought dementia and memory loss were a natural part of the ageing process. But Alzheimer's is a disease and the biggest cause of dementia. The good news about this is, like other diseases such as AIDS and cancer, one day we will defeat it. So let's start talking about it, discuss it in the office, open the conversations around Alzheimer's. Destroy shame surrounding mental illness and find a cure for this shitty disease. Search Alzheimer's Research UK for further information on this. Until then, I hope this little podcast has provided even just a nugget of hope or positive inspiration and maybe some small things you can do with the person suffering so that neither of you feel so acutely alone in your pain. And finally, as promised, here is my mum Eunice with the bonus track, the Yuppie Doopie song. Mum, hit it! And 
You can follow me on Twitter at Leanne Davis. Check out my website, leannedavis.co.uk or through my agent, the lovely Giles Smart at United Agents. Thanks once again for listening, guys. Yahoo! Standard Issue for all women.